0: Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. And today, I have a a longtime friend on here. Uh, I think you even enjoy listening to our podcast here. Uh, Our guest host here, who I may even have back for other episodes, uh, John Strickland. John, it's good to have you on here, brother.
1: Very good to be here. Thank you.
0: John, tell us about where you're serving currently and your current position.
1: I am the worship pastor uh, at Tabernacle Baptist Church in New Bern, North Carolina, which is way on the coast, about as far east as you can go. Uh, not too far from the Outer Banks, but a little bit further south. Uh, but anyway, we uh, we had Hurricane Florence. You might have seen Newburn in the news around the country because the president came here and everything. We got through Hurricane Florence a couple of years ago. But uh, I I lead worship and lead the music ministry uh, and a couple of other things with technology and media.
0: Okay, so when we served together, we were in another state up in the wild uh, northern yonder, north of the Mason Dixon line in Indiana. Uh, you were a worship pastor there, and I was a senior pastor there, so we, we have had a working relationship together in the past. We we had a, I think we had a really good uh, s- staff unity when we worked together there, wouldn't you agree with that? And, uh, oh,
1: definitely, yeah, we yeah we had good meetings and good, even even good conflict, uh, working things out and kind of shared the same values and convictions, that was always important.
0: And today, the theme that we're going to, the topic we're going to deal with is going to be worship. Uh, but we're going to talk about worship in general, but we're also going to talk about worship specifically through music, since this is an area of expertise for you. And, uh, you have been influential and helpful for me in thinking through some of these issues. And so I wanted to share this with our listeners. First of all, John, what would we say worship is if we had to give a definition for worship?
1: It's a big question. It's a simple question, but also a really big question. You could spend the whole podcast just on that one question. But one of my favorite uh, definitions comes from David Peterson and he wrote a book called engaging with God and it's a biblical theology of worship. So he works through the Bible uh, in order theologically and tries to determine what does worship look like in every part of the Bible throughout the entire Bible's narrative and content and his his under his overarching definition that he that he comes down to he boils down all of his biblical study into the phrase uh, that worship is engaging with God on his terms and in the way that he alone makes possible and so he argues that that definition applies to worship all through the bible in the old testament sacrificial system and into the new testament under christ That uh, worship is about engaging with God. So, in a a conversation with God, an interaction back and forth with God, uh, more specifically, that God reveals himself to us and then we respond back to his revelation. And so, that's an important part of it. Uh, The revelation and response dynamic uh, is a really important part of it. And then uh, the other side is in the way that he alone makes possible. So, we have to worship God on his terms and we have to come to him in the way that he makes possible. In other words, we can't set those terms ourselves or make God into something we want him to be and make our worship into something that we want it to be. We have to always go back to his revelation, the scriptures first and let him set those terms and let him define those parameters and make those, those means which we have to come to him.
0: When we're preparing for worship, as pastors and as worship leaders, or as lay people that are in the church that may be putting together a worship service. Of course, this is much more expansive. This can be we're talking in general here about worship daily. So you can do this in private worship and in public worship. We're going to be focusing for the sake of the podcast, more on that public collective gathering together and specifically through music. But as we come together and we think about worship through music What would be a distinguishing factor here as we think through? What are the guiding kind of principles and thought process we should have as we define what worship through music is?
1: So musical worship, uh, I would say, starts with congregational singing. I think that it's kind of one of those things where uh, every square is a rectangle, but not every rectangle is a square. Uh, uh, Worship is nothing less than congregational singing. It can be more than that, and there can be other, there can be instrumental music, there can be, uh, a lot of people don't like the word performance, but I, I'm i okay with it to a degree. I mean, there can be performance music, special music. A lot of churches use the term special music to just mean, you know, music that's being sung or played for the congregation to listen to rather than participate in singing. But I think that, uh, you know, the, the phrase that I have at Tabernacle in our core values for worship and our philosophy of worship is that congregational singing is the heart of Worship music. And so I think any kind of thinking about music and worship that doesn't put congregational singing as the most important foundational piece of that uh, is missing the Bible's uh, emphasis uh, entirely because of uh, passages, especially like Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, where we see congregational singing, you know, the phrase singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is used in both of those passages. Uh, but they're taught. He's talking about congregational singing, singing of the church to one another, um, as an extension of the ministry of teaching. Mm. And so, the 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 essence of congregational singing is not necessarily emotive to express our emotions about God or express our feelings to God. That's that can be part of it. We see that obviously in the Psalms, but I think equally in the Psalms, and then reiterated in the New Testament, we see that. The singing is, is a didactic or it's teaching in nature so that we're supposed to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That's what the first part of Colossians 3, 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then the, the rest of that verse answers the question how by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So the singing is reinforcing the word in our hearts and our minds. And of course, God in his wisdom has created music to be a mechanism that can help impress the meaning of the scripture and the power of the scripture in our minds and hearts in a unique way that only music can do. So that's the importance of musical worship. Uh, Not that it's an end of itself, but that it's a, it's a, it's a tool. It's a, it's an instrument for uh, the word dwelling in us richly.
0: Those are excellent points. And I would, I would be in complete agreement with everything you said. In addition to that, I would um, also kind of like to lean in and press in and thinking through this a bit more Uh, We have seen, well, in the course of my whole ministry, there has been discussions about worship wars and going back and forth on those issues. And I guess based on what you have said, there is a biblical principle that we're seeing emerge here, right? And the biblical principle is whatever is saying must first and foremost be honoring to the Lord and biblically grounded. Was that fair to say?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And then uh, recently we had a, uh, with covid all of our churches have been operating kind of differently and we kind of had a domino effect a couple of weeks ago and we had an issue where the lady who leads uh, our first service she couldn't come to worship the person who was the backup had covid and then we were down to like third and fourth tier for people to lead worship through music and somebody in the church looked at me and said well pastor shouldn't we just have preaching and go home? And I said, absolutely not. We will sing this morning. uh, Even if I have to get up there and pull up Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, which if you're not familiar with him, he used to actually get up and he would just lead the hymns and sing and then he would preach. And I said, if I have to pull up Martin Lloyd-Jones this morning, we're going to sing praises to the Lord because as you said a minute ago, it is part of the worship experience and it is part of the teaching ministry of the church, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And we had this discussion too with COVID and with online services and, you know, there was never a point in which music was going to be excluded uh, or either, either for convenience. In other words, when we were, uh, we were producing pre-recorded services. So we weren't going to exclude the music just to make it easier. And when we regathered, we, we weren't going to exclude the music, out of you know some kind of pragmatic sense for health and safety reasons there's a lot of people had that concern uh but you know we said you know worship on the lord's day corporate worship gathered worship this this singing of the people is an is an essential part of that and uh, it can't be replaced by only having people sing from the stage it can't be replaced uh by only having instrumental music etc um and so I totally agree with you. And a similar conversation, I had, I got the flu a couple of years ago and, and, and couldn't make it to church on Sunday morning and had the same conversation with my pastor trying to reach people to replace me at the last minute. And he said, well, if we can't get anybody, then I guess I'll just have to send up and lead the hymns because, you know, again, it's the same sentiment, you know, we're not going to cut this out. Uh, so either, you know, the, the one way or the other, the church is going to sing. Uh, and I'm sure it would have, I sure would have been fine.
0: Well, and even at the conclusion and consummation of the return of Christ, we see the Bible records in John's vision and revelation that God's people will sing a new song, like that singing will not just be something we do here, but there seems to be a clear directive here in scripture that we will continue to sing after this life is over. And when sin and the sadness of this world pass away, we will sing probably uh, to a greater degree as we see all of salvation and faith turn to sight it's a critical ministry and i know there's a lot of people that are listening on here listen preaching is going to cease one day right there's going to be a day the last evangelist will make the last call for salvation there'll be a day when the last missionary will come home but i guess you worship leaders you're going to have a job all the way through eternity but all <laughs> of us pastors are going to be shelved like we'll be retired so anyhow <laughs> All right, uh let's talk a little bit more about, you know, worship and let's let's talk a little bit I guess about worship models. I guess one of the things we kind of see And has been you know back and forth was the issue of choirs versus even praise teams and then sometimes praise teams and choirs working together Uh, if you don't care john can you kind of take us back in time to the old testament we see psalms that talk about choirs and the choir master and all these different things were the choirs of the old testament the same thing that we're thinking of today when we think of choirs in 21st century america
1: um I haven't I haven't done a lot of in-depth study on that question. Uh, I would say it's, I would say probably uh, significantly different. I mean, just because the music was different. We don't really know what uh, ancient uh, Israelite music sounded like. Uh, we can have some ideas, but uh, again, you know, we, and, and that's just another point to reiterate back on the previous conversation of just about, you know, God recorded the words of the songs, but in the scripture, we don't have recorded musical notations to know what it sounded like, which is an indication that, the content of the singing the words is much more important to the lord than the form and the style and the sound of it um but uh but with choirs i think it's just i think the important point with choirs is that it's it's important for in my opinion for the church to be led uh in a way that models kind of and mirrors what the church is doing and so uh yes, I have a microphone, other singers might have microphones to help reinforce, uh, but to me it's an important image to have a group of people singing, looking at a group of people who are singing and leading, and kind of mirroring and modeling what's happening, that that a, a group of people is singing together uh, as one body, and you have that that imagery of of unity, uh, among many individuals. And so that, that's what corporate worship is. You talked about a minute ago, the distinction between individual and corporate worship. We could talk about that for a whole podcast as well, just that just that one distinction. Uh, but but what's so important is when we, we bring our individual lives of worship into the congregation and we join with our brothers and sisters, we're supposed to have a unified expression of worship now that we all participate in together. And I, I think the choir just models that by coming in and looking up on the platform and seeing a choir of people. And then, uh, you know, my understanding is I, I try to tell the church, like you are the choir in a sense, like you are a choir We're no one, no one here is really singing to each other, uh, as an audience, we're singing to each other to teach and admonish, but we're singing to the Lord as an audience. Um, if we're performing for anyone, it's to bless him. Um, and I think the choir just models that and, and helps lead that well. Uh, and so, you can get into musical style questions about uh, about individualistic uh, music styles and contemporary rhythms and melodies that are kind of individualistic in nature and hard for people to sing together. And so I think having a choir helps you lean toward musical styles that are easier for people to sing in groups. Um, a lot of music, the, the melodies and the rhythms are difficult to sing in unison because they're so stylized or so complex. And having a choir, you're kind of forced to lean toward uh, musical styles and musical, uh, you know, rhythms and whatever else uh, that is easier for people to all sing together and sound unified. And that's important for congregational singing, too.
0: Yeah. I've I've often enjoyed seeing whenever you do see choirs and praise teams working together, you know, I, I appreciate whenever, I know that's probably a lot more work for the person that's behind that to try to get everybody <laughs> together and get everybody to, to practice together and, and be in sync. But we want to try as best we can. You know, we, I don't think we're all expecting to sound like, you know, first Baptist Orlando or whatever church it is that has an orchestra, a choir, a praise team, and I've seen them all done well, but at least, that we would do as as well with excellence what we have in our body, right? I mean, I think that's fair, wouldn't you say?
1: Oh, exactly. Yeah, and it, and the comparison game is really dangerous. Of course, you probably would apply that to lots of areas of church life and comparing your ministry to other churches or what you can do or can't do. And even in the same thing goes to music ministry. Do, you know, lean into your strengths, you know, use the people that God has planted where you are, you know, the, the talents that they have and the, the things that they can do and do it well do it as well as you can um and don't worry about being like another church or competing with another church or sounding a certain way or sounding like it does on the CD or whatever uh, but uh but just doing it the best that you can and and serving your congregation and I think those are the those are the really benchmarks is does this serve the people are they able to participate in this are they able to sing well with this and of course you know if and the musical excellence comes into that too because if if you're playing poorly or you're not playing the right notes, then that's distracting or it's difficult to sing along with. Um, uh, But you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be the mega church down the road uh, in order to help your people sing. Well,
0: particularly here in Appalachia where we see a lot of churches that are, you know, 65 people on Sunday morning or less. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're having a, they're limited in who they have, but, You know, as long as there's, you know, you've got some people in these churches that they don't even read music. They're just playing from, you know, ear, playing by ear and what they have heard. But even if that's what you have, do it with the best ability that you have, right? Right. I remember in my first church, this is going to date me a little bit. Do you remember MIDI machines, John? Mm Mm-hmm. From back, in, I've actually got an old one. The church was getting rid of it. I was like, "Nah, I'm going to take that because I might." Then you never know. You know what I mean? There might be a time <laughs> I need a mini machine. I'm going to put it in my antique collection. You know what I mean? But uh, mini machines for those of you who are not familiar, what were they? Were they three and a half floppies that you popped in, and then it played the music on them? Right? Is that the best way to describe them?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of different. I mean, there's a lot of different MIDI devices. So you can have MIDI controllers that hooked up to computers, or uh, mainly back in the day, it's probably keyboards. Uh, and yeah, you could, you could preload, you know, different recorded tracks and then play along with it or, re- you know, record things and rhythms and drum, mach- drum machines and all kinds of stuff.
0: Yeah. You could buy the packs. I, the only thing is I've got a MIDI machine. I got no discs, so I got nothing to play on it. So I'm looking <laughs> for, if anybody's listening, you got some MIDI tracks, send them to me. I, I will put them together with my MIDI machine. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about uh, planning a worship service for a minute here as we shift gears, as we've seen, whatever you have, the resources you have, if it's a praise team with a guitar or a banjo or whatever you've got, use it all for the glory of God. Or if you've got a choir, you've got a orchestra, whatever you have using it all. Let's think through how we plan a, first of all, is planning important for a worship service? And if so, how do we go about thinking through how to plan worship through singing on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights?
1: So. Well, um, obviously planning is important. I would say just as important as the preacher preparing a sermon. And I know, I know, I know that there are, there are some traditions out there, maybe even in Appalachia that, that, uh, that don't focus on maybe focus more on spontaneity right. than planning. I would, I would uh, have, I would take issue with that approach. <laughs> I think right. that planning and preparation is very important, uh, for preaching as, as well as music. Um, And, uh, it's simply because the good, well, the good news is that the Bible doesn't give us a a prescribed order of worship, right? There's not anywhere in the Bible that says you must sing a song first and then have a scripture reading and then have a sermon and then sing another song. That's not what, you know, we don't have that anywhere that that tells us exactly how to do this. The, the bad news is there's not a prescribed one (laughs) and we have to, we have to figure it out, right? We have to make a decision. Uh, and, apply biblical principles to how do we make this work. Uh, one good book is called uh, Christ Centered Worship by Brian Chapel, And he does, he does a lot of the hard work of, of this when, he, and he he relies on on history and goes through uh, the early church and uh, the Roman church and the reformation that uh, Martin Luther and then Zwingli and some others uh and he takes their orders of worship and compares them all side by side and kind of breaks it down and what why did they do things this way why did they order it this way and he sort of distills all that down into uh a gospel-centered um order of worship that uh that is most he has several elements that he it's really detailed if you're interested in that sort of thing then definitely read that and uh the good news about that book is too you can really apply the principles that he goes through without really being liturgical or being too high church uh, because he came, he comes from a Presbyterian background, so he's more in that in that you know camp uh, in that school of thinking. Uh, at, we as Baptists are generally less so. <laughs> we're a little are bit more.
0: Are you saying we're low church? Is that what you're saying?
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of people will probably be proud of that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, but the gist of it is worship is uh, the order of our worship just tells the story of the gospel, and so we have to start somewhere. Well, we start with God because that's where worship starts at the beginning. I was talking Mm -hmm. about revelation and response. We don't have the idea to worship God left to ourselves. Uh, you know, we're enemies of God. We hate God, uh, but for Christ and the intervention of grace and the gospel. And so God reveals himself to us first. And so that's where we start. We start with a call to worship or some kind of, uh, acknowledgement of who God is, what God has done for us. And then we respond to that in adoration. Uh, and so we start with god and then we move to man and so in light of who god is then we have to recognize the, who we are and so we acknowledge our sin so most uh, most throughout all of church history there's been a distinctive uh, element in worship of confession of sin and assurance of forgiveness so that we recognize uh every single week you know what what that relationship with god is and how it's been reconciled through christ so god man christ we obviously in assurance of pardon we look to the cross we look to christ we know uh, that that is the only way that we have access to God and we have fellowship with God through Christ and what Christ did for us, and you know, acknowledge his sacrifice uh, and then our response. And so we have some acknowledgement of, uh, again, what is our responsibility? And, and then we, you know, as part of that, we have instruction from the word, uh, whereas as believers, we acknowledge God is holy. We are not. We are sinners. Um Christ has saved us. And so now as 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 forgiven uh believers and children of God, we want to be obedient. So we open up the Bible. And that's the central act of our worship is hearing the word taught and preached so that we might be more faithful, more obedient. And then of course we respond to that uh with a commitment uh and then leave with the charge, you know, with a charge to go out and to uh be a witness and to be obedient to be more faithful. And then of course we come back every week. And because we are so fallen and so sinful and so prone to wander you know as the hymn says we have to come back every week and we go through that same rhythm every single week to just remind us and reorient us week after week after week uh to keep us centered on the gospel
0: yeah i agree completely you know it's funny i was i was teaching through this 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 model and this is something that we try to do at our church, I've sat down with the worship leaders and said, let's try to, let's try to orient the service around the gospel. I, I don't know if our people realize that's kind of the way we do it, but that is the way we do it. You know what I mean? And I remember before I did it, I, I spoke to the church one Sunday night about it. And a lady came up to me afterwards and I had made him a handout where I had laid out everything and laid out the gospel and done it all. And uh, she said, I I don't know why you're doing this. This is terrible. This is the worst. You're, you're putting restraints on the movement of the Holy spirit, trying to do this. And, and uh, she said, I'm, I'm leaving the church and she left the church over it. You know what I mean? And uh, wow. to which, <laughs> to which my point was, I guess if that's what's going to cause you to leave that we're trying to be more gospel centered in how we worship the church, then you probably need to leave. Right. Cause hmm. I mean, that sounds awful harsh, but uh, at the end of the day, the gospel is going to be central. The word of God is going to be central and we're not going to get, you know, Pentecostal crazy with mm-hmm. some different uh, venues that are uh, perhaps not biblically allowed or regulated or, or an example in in the word of God. And so, you know, pastor, don't be surprised if you're trying to be biblically faithful and gospel centered if you don't get a little pushback. Would you say that's fair, John?
1: absolutely and I, I but and i think the the beauty of this approach too is um you know the you know the the average person in the pew doesn't really even need to be you know keenly aware of what's happening uh to be impacted positively by it i mean uh, worship uh, and other people have written on this you know the the worship shapes our people's thinking and it shapes their like not just the preaching that obviously is a strong influence the direct teaching but the way that we worship shapes people's understandings about God and about the gospel. And that's why it's important that we're talking about this planning and shaping the service because it shapes the people. And even if they're not aware of what's going on, it, but but we put them into this rhythm of God, man, Christ response of the gospel of adoration, confession, assurance, Thanksgiving, uh, you know, petition and intercession, instruction and charge and blessing. And we put them into that rhythm week after week. Um, you know it'll shape it'll shape them even unconsciously but then what's what's awesome is if you if they do understand it and you teach them specifically what's going on then it'll just be richer um you know when they see what's what's happening and and they understand it more then it'll just be richer and more meaningful um uh, but yeah when yeah any time you're making a change that is for the that is for more faithfulness and more biblical biblical faithfulness you know more biblical obedience and people resist that um Say the course,
0: <laughs> yeah you know, I like what one pastor told me recently. he serves a church here in the area, and he's been at his church for thirty years and uh he said you know if if somebody can be uh pulled from our congregation to another one, they can be kind of picked off like that, they probably need to leave anyway and mm-hmm. uh you know I thought well that's that's coming mm-hmm. from somebody who's been faithful for a lot of years and and if that bothers them that we can't be gospel centered in our worship, like that's an issue. Because um, I think what we see sometimes here in Appalachia is a reaction against planning and a reaction against trying to be intentional and in structuring those things that, it, mm. it you know, the, the objection is you're making it dry, you're making it the doldrums by doing that. Right. I would totally push back against that and say, no, 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 no. What we're doing is one of the most critical activities of the church all week, and we need to do it with excellence in planning. We see that God models planning, right? This salvation, you know, it didn't just happen, right? We didn't have the fall of man and then the Trinity have an emergency meeting session. What are we going to do and how are we going to respond? There was always a plan of God and salvation. And so we see God modeling planning and we see him being a good steward of planning. And so I think that is something that we should do in our body as well. So.
1: Right. And one, you know, and there's even like simple ways, you don't even have to like overhaul your entire order of worship. And I wouldn't recommend that uh, because again, like your order of worship is the way that your people are used to engaging with God, whether it's, whether it's really strong or whether it needs improvement, it's still there known familiar way of how they engage with God and so you shouldn't just go ripping it apart you know willy nilly uh um, but there's but little things that you can do like if you know if you're, t- if you're if your service typically starts with hey y'all like good morning how's everybody feeling today then you know maybe start with the call to worship instead start with the scripture reading right. uh, and just 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 do that one that one small thing and and open the bible and say we're going to hear from God first and then we're going to do what we do in response to that And that'll even one little thing like that will start to change the tone and change the expectation slowly. All right.
0: Okay, great. Well, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have to land the plane here on this. I think I could go another uh, hour (laughs) on these discussions, but we're going to have to just do this quickly here. I'm going to give you the twinkling of the eye round. Like I do many of our guests when they come on here. Are you ready, brother? Let's go. All right. Twinkling of the eye round. First question is this, what pastor has been a major influence on you and your ministry?
1: I have to say Bob Coughlin, and so he's not like a lead pastor or a senior pastor or really a preacher. He ha- he does preach, but uh, he's the um, director of Sovereign Grace Music and one of the pastors of Sovereign Grace Church in Louisville. Uh, but just his thinking on worship and his his both theological and practical instruction on how to, how to do worship and how to lead worship has just been really formative for me. Without that influence, I wouldn't know a lot of what I know and do with a lot of things that I do.
0: Good. Now I know that you primarily do worship through music, but you also preach as well. You're a good preacher. If you could preach in any pulpit in the world, what would it be? Or where would it be?
1: Oh, that's a tough one. Um I don't know. Maybe you know, maybe in maybe in England and uh in Metropolitan Tabernacle.
0: Oh man, that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> Stand it's We're probably Spurgeon a lot.
1: Story. It's probably a pretty popular choice. It's kind yeah. of a cop out. But, uh, but no, I mean, I think it's just I think it's a unique building and just a yeah. unique historical place and just just the just the environment and the historical significance of Spurgeon, you know, would be a, a neat thing to do
0: there or i would love to to go and preach where paul preached at mars hill if we could find it you probably would have to dig it up by now you know what i mean so (laughs) just to say i stood where paul stood for mars hill all right uh it is christmas season and people have a lot of sentiments and on christmas and there's actually an episode previously here we did christmas creep where we talked about there are some bad christmas hymns and there are some good ones what is your favorite christmas hymn or song
1: it has to be Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Isaac Watts, just because just his master of lang- mastery of la- language and the way that he packs in so much biblical allusions and and imagery and truth uh, into just really concise, profound ways. So yeah, Hark the Herald Angels, I could sing that every week, even even when it's not Christmas, uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's just a great hymn about the incarnation and and... Yeah. So
0: <laughs> I like it. All right. One last question here and then, and then we're going to be done. And that is, is there any question that you wish I'd asked you today that I did not?
1: Oh, any question? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, we didn't talk a lot about worship wars and styles and how to think about those things. So maybe that could be a future episode, just only on that. Like how to, how to think about, you know, how do you pick a style? How do you change a style? do you need to change your style, et cetera?
0: All right. That sounds good. You know, I'll, I'll share this one thought with you as a, I guess we'll, we'll have to have you back then. We'll, we'll do that episode. And I may get more of our hosts to be in on that one too. We may have several that do that one. That'd be but good. Uh, I've always thought about church music as like in terms of food because I'm fat and I enjoy food a lot. And so here, here's the way I think about it. I think I've shared this with you before. I think of like high church is like filet mignon, you know, like the, the choirs, the robes, all that. That's like high church music. And then I think about like, you know, the, there is a uh, like pop, pop Christianity and, and music style. That's like uh that's like McDonald's. You know what I mean? Like, So, you know, some churches try to blend those together and it just comes out weird. It's like trying to eat filet mignon with McDonald's French fries. It's just odd. (laughs) And then the third category is something I would call almost like folk or homegrown music which is mm-hmm. going to be like, you know, your banjos, your guitars, a lot of what you'll see here in Appalachia. And that's kind of like uh, chicken casserole, right? It's just good, <laughs> hearty. Everybody likes it. You don't really find it in restaurants that often. It's not prepackaged. My mom's got to make that and put that together, you know? And so sometimes when churches try to blend those three things together, it it, it, it makes an odd sort of worship. Uh, and just like it would make kind of an odd sort of meal. That's probably a silly way to think about it, but I personally enjoy it either to be high either or you know pop or folk and just kind of be that category just like i'd rather not mix those meals up personally but anyway we'll have another episode where we talk about that right so sure okay brother well thank you for your time if you can believe it we have gone longer than even we meant to these these episodes (laughs) go by quick thank you so much for being with us and uh uh, I'm going to try to list a couple of those resources we mentioned today. Uh, the one you mentioned by um, the brother, the Presbyterian brother. Can you say that one one more time as we close?
1: Uh, yeah, Christ-centered worship by Brian Chapel. Yeah. And and also, if you're just if you're just starting out thinking about worship and and these kind of things, then uh, Bob Coughlin, Worship Matters. Uh, is really for worship leaders. But then there's even, he, he did a follow up to that called True Worshippers, which is really for anybody, uh, in, any church member that's a lay person, just to think about biblical worship.
0: So that might be something if you're working on a discipleship plan, you may want to integrate with one on one or one on a small group for discipleship to get them thinking about worship, right? So oh, that'd be great. Yeah.
1: And True Worshippers has a free uh, small group guide that you can get from Crossway's website um, uh, to go along with that. So you get where you have a small group thing built in right to it, just to buy the books.
0: And I think Didn't Piper also put together a study on was it gravity and gladness that's very mm-hmm. helpful as well would you recommend that one too
1: That's a good one yeah I started going through that in my previous church I didn't get through it all but we started to go through some of that um and it's it's really good it's really in depth but really well really well done
0: That would probably be something good if you're a choir leader to take your choir through together right because they mm-hmm. it's funny the choir ends up kind of being um they have a community that they build. I've noticed in every church you know we're part of the choir when a choir member's sick or a choir member dies, they all kind of come together. How much better would it be for them to not only sing together but to work through a truth like that together and study you know what i mean so.
1: absolutely yeah and then be and then to be the advocates and the teachers you know to let that to let those understandings then you know flow out into the congregation from from their leadership uh you know outside of Sunday morning
0: right. I agree. Well, thank you again so much, brother. And thank you for joining us here at the Appalachian Baptist Network. Tune in next Thursday for another episode. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Appalachian Baptist Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash
1: Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.